Please, the podcast where we are everything we want to be, nothing you want us to be, and so much more. Today's episode will just be me. Um, Shaya is just a tiny bit busy. She will be back. Um, but she's also started working recently and I'm so proud of her. So go give her a little warm message or a little congrats at, at Shaya5 on Instagram because I've really admired her resilience and hard work over the past few months. Um, yeah, and over the time and course that we've been friends as well. So today I wanted to dive into a few different tangents because it's some things, it's just some things that there have been that I've been grappling with about recently. I wanted to talk about the phrase "lo kia kenge." Now, it's not something I resonate with personally in that language, but it basically translates to "what will people think" or "what will people say." Those phrases are not something unheard of in the lives of you know young Malaysian people. Um, being a part of the Indian Malaysian subgroup, sort of, I guess, <laughs> you definitely hear it a lot as well. But more specifically, I wanted to talk about it in relation to sex. I may go on on a few tangents, but hey, what's a conversation with me if it doesn't go into tangents? So one of my goals this year was to better understand Malaysian politics. I want to be honest with you and say that it's been really difficult. One, because, well, the less I speak, read, and am surrounded by the Malay language, the worse my comprehension of it becomes. But that's like 2% of my problem. The other part is that the youth of Malaysia are constantly criticised by, you know, all generations, boomers perhaps, you might say, for our lack of engagement in politics. But then when we do voice our opinions and take steps into understanding and on occasion rightfully so critiquing our country's um, policies and governments, there's a strong backlash. You know, you hear things like, oh, you're young, you don't get it, you don't understand, you're being unpatriotic. Well, you know, you get killed for upholding a right to dissent, but (laughs) you didn't hear it from me. You know, age should just be a number, right? But in Malaysia, it often counts for everything. I was reading this article from Vice that noted, across Malaysia, party leadership is dominated by lawmakers well above the retirement age. A worrying concern for a country where the median age among its 32 million citizens is 29. Malaysia's current Prime Minister, Muhyiddin Yassin, is 73 years old and is considered to be a sprightly figure compared to his 95-year-old predecessor, Mahathir bin Mohammed. Honestly, it just feels really shitty when you're trying to be interested in learning about what's really happening in your home country as a young adult, but see young politicians getting heckled, heckled in parliament. You see and hear sexist and racist statements being thrown around. Anyway, this isn't rant about politics. It's more about how I feel about how people that stand against the status quo are treated. Now, let's discuss this with brown families in particular and how they handle the topic of sex. Maybe even most people with, you know, some sort of Asian background or person of color could maybe relate to this. But I'm just speaking from my experience and what I've seen with my friends um, and a lot of my peers as well. So sex and sexuality are so closely related to shame within our culture currently. They're things that we just never talk about and our equivalent of the sex talk is sex after marriage that's it 
and you know perhaps it's even relegated to a marital obligation or primarily primarily for reproduction that's it there's so many instances where teenagers and young adults you know being open about their sex lives so their parents have backfired instead of an open mind appreciation of honesty and reasonable concern they are met with judgment shame and a sense of worthlessness disappointment disappointment of course the typical phrase of what will people think what will people say about this some might say you know we shouldn't bother to dis- discuss these things with you know our parents or like the old older generation whoever they are because they will never understand they 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 just don't get it because they grew up in a different time they struggled just to make it to where they are now they've had to be so careful and because of that they couldn't risk anything to jeopardize their status seems fair enough i guess they did what they had to do to survive but i think we live in different times now our parents and grandparents and however many great grandparents sacrificed so much so that we would live sort of better and maybe more free life and i just always think that you know when when it's always trying to lean into whatever that status quo is there's no you know questioning of whether that status quo is you know sexist or misogynistic or homophobic or transphobic it's none of that um you know it's never is this status quo an unhealthy way of defining productivity you know just all those little things i suppose anyway before i go on the tangent <laughs> um yeah you know i think they worked hard to for the you know one of the main reasons of wanting a better life for their children i suppose you know a life where you can be true to yourself and have a sense of freedom from whatever holds us back in 2020 you know millennials or gen z kids maybe not all of us are at the point where you know we have more freedom and we're coming out of our little our own like self oppressed ways or at least maybe we want to we're owning who we are at least i am and what i stand for and what i believe in and you know this could apply to people you know starting careers that parents never approved of being disowned by your parents for dating someone they didn't approve of to marrying the person who's not of the same ethnic background as you are and yes even talking about sex i mean i've been out here writing blog posts about slut shaming and abortions since i was 16 so i've definitely never been shy But why are we made to feel so ashamed of something that brings such pleasure in life? In something that brings literal sentient life into existence for some, in something that can be so intimate and spiritual in nature for some as well. Personally, I also feel the shame can be very gendered. Why are we so ashamed of young women who have sex, who have a sex life in particular? Why are women more likely to be called sluts and men just players or just men in some cases what the hell is a slut anyway sometimes it's a derogatory term to describe women based on a non-specific number of sexual partners she's perceived to have sometimes we use it against each other when our internalized misogyny gets the best of us and we feel tre- threatened by someone else sometimes it's yelled at us for simply existing sometimes it's heckled at us when we reject advances from men but because of decades of 
you know, the gendered use of the term. The term is inherently gendered towards women. So when referring to a man who has a perceived number of set, like sex partners, that's too much, I suppose. We slap the term man in front of slut or whore to get, you know, man slut or man whore. A term that doesn't exactly pack the same kind of punch as slut when it's thrown at women. When there isn't a gender equivalent term for certain negative words, then do we let the behavior of the other gender fly under the radar? I'm also realizing that, you know, I am framing this in a binary, which isn't the case because gender exists on a spectrum. So anyway, why is it that having a sex life, especially as young women, equate to having less principles and values? Why is it that, you know, even if people do engage in sex, it's always don't talk about it, keep it hush-hush, no one should know. You know, it's it's the same thing um, as, you know, the previous statement. And I think it's probably because we have such puritanical views. You know, we guard virginity like it's something to take or to lose. And I And I really hate this narrative because, yet again, it's centered around the man as the subject somehow having the ability to take something from, you know, the woman who is relegated to the object in in the example, you know? The first time you can have sex can be a big deal. It's a lot, I know, I get it. Um, you know, it's a whole new experience, but it really doesn't help when conversations around it are mostly always framed around the gal losing virtue or honor or just losing something. I really don't think, you know, men get relegated to that same narrative of losing anything. Nothing gets taken from them. None of their cherries get popped or whatever. You know, just miss me with that bullshit about virginity because surprise, surprise, you know, you can have a sex life and still be a good, I don't know, quote-unquote moral, virtuous person. You can have a sex life and be a great daughter, friend, employee, leader, literally anything you want to be. When did sex equate to becoming a bad person? It kind of reminds me of the story where a school teacher was fired after the headmaster discovered that she was a sex worker through finding her only fans. Tell me why the underpaid teacher that sought out sex work as an additional stream of income is vilified by the employer that was paying for porn not. I'm not saying either party should be vilified for either action because it's you know, perfectly healthy and also very ethical to be paying for the porn that you consume. And it's also, you know, sex work is work. I've said this before and I will always say it. Um, But it just really goes to show the way that society responds um, to a situation like this. People really do hate it when, you know, women try to capitalize and commodify on their own sexuality, you know, welcome to the world of misogyny. Some might say that, you know, the world we live in, especially for brown folk, I guess, isn't ready to be having these quote-unquote progressive conversations. But if not us, then who will trailblaze these conversations? You know, is it the world that's not ready? Or are you as parents not ready to heal yourself? Or are you as parents not ready to understand that you can and may have already traumatized your child, but there is room to unlearn? 
you know, parenting is a tough gig, y'all, but I kind of want to move, move, I kind of want us to move away from the idea that just because we're parents, we always have authority over our children. We're already, we're, we're already seeing, you know, a change in certain parts of the world. We also see it in Malaysia amongst the youth. Boomers may think otherwise, but there has never been a higher demand for sex education to be implemented in our schools. You know, why not open our minds, empower our youth to be able to have these conversation and conversations and then lead to healthy and responsible decisions? This change is already happening whether we like it or not. So which side do you want to be on? The side that will eventually prevail or the side that ends up outdated? For brown families, at least, I think this shame surrounding their children being, you know, open about sex is rooted in fear. A lot of fear and judgment. On one hand, as immigrants, parents would have felt the need to live up to that model minority myth, um, you know, of being the good minority, of being educated, of being well-to-do, successful. And on the other hand, the effects of patriarchal colonization and imperialism have a strong effect perhaps on, you know, their own sense of self and comfortability with exploring their personal sexuality. It reminds me of what I've said, you know, in a previous episode, I think, that so many parents cause a lot of trauma, unknowingly or not, to their children. And, you know, why is there such a visceral reaction to when your child is open about taboo topics? I've heard it. I've seen it before. You know, we get told to be open and honest, but then when we do, the natural immediate reaction is anger and resentment instead of comfort and a safe space. I understand, though, that it comes from a place of care, I guess. Just a bit misplaced, maybe. The care of knowing the judgment that may come from certain colleagues within that older generation. But honestly, if we were all too scared and too cowardly, to be honest, about typically taboo topics, then who the hell is going to break the cycle? You know, and I feel like when it comes to caring about that judgment, again, it's centered around the parents' feelings and the parents' ability to, you know, digest that situation and not really focus on what the child is going through at that moment. I asked a question on my Instagram yesterday, like the curious bean I am about how people would react as parents if, you know, their children asked them about sex or how babies were made and the responses sort of went, you know, in very different ways. <laughs> one of them was like, go ask, I tell them to go ask the other parent. Um, another one was, you know, I'd approach it depending on their age and maturity. Another one um, said, well, for the lack of understanding with the child, you know, being able to process that information. I won't go into details, but, you know, if my child was 14 and in their teens, then the conversation would probably be different. Some other answers would be like, you know, to explain simply without any taboo so that they know it's normal, but, you know, should be careful still. Another one, I tell them the truth without getting into details, you know, best to normalize it at a young age. This whole thing got me thinking on why some parents may fear talking to their children about sex and all things surrounding sexual health. I found a great article that kind of broke it down to a few reasons. First things, their own issues about sex. Our parents could have, you know, deep, unresolved issues about sex. We forget that 
parents are valuable and could have their own deep-rooted thoughts about sex being dirty or degrading or shameful. So, you know, it could also be a terrifying association, especially if they've survived sexual abuse or mistreatment. They could even still be involved in a negative sexual relationship now. So it can be daunting trying to address something that they've always been secretive about with their kids. You know, parents may also fear destroying a child's innocence or, you know, think talking about it will encourage it. I think about all these things too as someone, you know, that will consider having children at some point in the future and wanting to become a parent. But like the article says, it's so important to work on healing and empowering ourselves. Parents, you can still do this for yourselves. You know, therapy, therapy, therapy. It's work. It's not meant to be breezy. But boy, do I think so many of us would be so much lighter if we tried to face our traumas. It's also important to start young. Teaching really simple concepts like consent, correct terminology, bodily functions, privacy and respect. All of this really reduces any embarrassment, I guess, when it comes to approaching larger conversations as children get older and tackle new things. You know, when do we actually refer to our vulvas as vulvas and vaginas as vaginas or penises as penises? It's always, I don't know, you guys, I'm not even going to try to say it because it just makes me cringe, but you guys know all the different ways that our private parts are referred to as children. There is this really amazing Facebook post by a mom teaching um, her three-year-old daughter consent in the most simplest way. I'll link, you know, all of this in the show notes, but you have to read it. It it really made me think about how we so often automatically assume we can touch, kiss, hug our babies, nieces, nephews, little cousins without their permission or don't bother to, or don't really bother to check in on how they're feeling. And it kind of plays into the way that we approach consent when we're much older as well. So the story is about how um, an older man in the family, the grandfather, um, in his mind is playfully poking and tickling the young girl and doesn't really read her body language and the change in her body language that shows her shrinking with discomfort. The young girl calls to her mother, you know, to help defend her. And the mother does, but also reminds her that she can and should say to the grandfather herself. The grandfather patronizes the mom and, you know, the mom's comment to back away. But the mom repeats to give the daughter some space. And the grandfather says, I can play with her how I want. Wow. How many times have we heard this hey from adults and older people in our life? And I freaking love the mom's response in return. No. She said, no, you cannot play however you want with her. It's not okay to have fun with someone who does not want to play. So effective, yet so simple. It's in in actions like this that we teach our children about consent, right? You know, it's not always a monologue of a conversation and you're not just reciting statements to them, but when you actually show them what it looks like in practice, it becomes so much easier for you know children to understand and absorb and also be able to like model in their life it's no surprise that you know sex isn't something we openly talk about in malaysia or within most malaysian households hell we don't even acknowledge the existence of marital rape we hush hush about child sexual abuse but you know 
at the end of the day, I think what parents need to understand, at least the ones that are averse to talking about these things, is that it's a dialogue, not a monologue. You know, sex education doesn't try to dump everything onto someone's brains at one go. It's about being able to have ongoing, meaningful discussions with your children. Um, In the future, we're actually going to start a series discussing topics surrounding sexual health, featuring guests, which I'm so excited about. Um, So if you guys have any suggestions on topics we should cover, we do have a a list going because we're really excited about it and... Um, but yeah, I, we would we would love to hear if there are any topics you would like us to discuss, guests that you would like to see in the show, and we'll try our best to get them on. Um, and at this stage, it's called Sexy Chat. So yeah, we'll, we'll work on that name. <laughs> so I'll leave you with this. Instead of thinking, you know, what will people say? What will people think? Perhaps we need to be looking within and thinking about why we feel so much shame in discussing very normal human behavior. Why we feel it's okay to slut shame our own children or the people around us for simply normalizing conversations about sexual health. Well, folks, that's all I've got for you today. Thank you for listening to me today. Um, follow us on Auntie Please at Instagram and me, Natasha J. Lama. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or just messages. As we always say, love hearing what you thought of the episodes. Join the newsletter fam, which is a little erratic for now. But hey, at least you get to hear more of our unfiltered thoughts and things. The link to that is in the show notes. Alrighty, folks. Till next time. Adios. Adios.